Welcome to Main Street Banking, a podcast for community bankers brought to you by the Barrett School of Banking, located in the heart of banking, blues, and barbecue, Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Byron Earnhardt. I am the program director here at Barrett, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to our corner of the banking world and hope that we can make your bank, your staff, and maybe even your day a better one. We are here today with Longtime Barrett friend Jimmy Sawyers well, with Sawyers and Jacobs LLC here in Memphis, Tennessee. Jimmy, how you doing today? Doing great, Byron. Glad to be here. Good. Well, Jimmy, remind some of our newer listeners. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about Sawyers and Jacobs. Sure. Well, uh, I've been on the Barrett faculty now. I guess, gosh, this will be my twenty-second year. So <laughs> you guys keep inviting me back. So that's a good thing. Yeah. So, uh, Certainly, we've enjoyed that relationship. And Sawyers and Jacobs, we're a boutique consulting firm here in the Memphis, Tennessee area, Collierville, to be specific, is where we're headquartered. And we work with banks in 26 different states now on a variety of technology payments and cybersecurity matters, uh, everything from strategic technology planning and system selection to uh, cybersecurity work, penetration testing, and IT auditing, and and a lot of things in between. So we're we're blessed to have a lot of longtime clients. Some of these banks I've been working with for 26 years straight. So we are uh, dedicated to community banks and, and passionate about seeing those community banks succeed uh, using technology as a tool and also uh, making sure they're prepared for the cybersecurity threats that are out there and are mitigating that risk properly too. Yeah, and I'll say Sawyers and Jacobs definitely is, um, they're our go-to uh, tech experts when we have, for the, obviously for the grad school, Jimmy, for, for our faculty, but whenever there's uh, any, any trends, anything coming down the road, um, you know, this is, who I, this is who we turn to to explain it to us. And so we're glad to have you as, as a part of, uh, of the Barrett family. And you all just had wrapped up your 2019 Bank Tech Summit. Um, and from, from, the, from the fabulous Graceland of all places, you know, one of the best sites in Memphis. So tell me a little bit about the Bank Tech Summit. What are some cool things that came out of it? Sure. Well, we had a great time. You're right. We, this was our first year out at the guest house at Graceland, and it was a fantastic venue, fantastic property. We had so much fun. We got to give bankers from goodness. I think we had 18 different states represented and we got to give them a little taste of Memphis and uh, the home of the blues, birthplace of rock and roll. And we had such a great time. And we got, we're so lucky. We have a lot of our friends from around the nation uh, who contribute to the technology industry, but they all come to Memphis and share their talent and expertise with our clients and friends as part of Bank Tech Summit. I, Byron, I think this was our. 15th one that we've had 15th annual and it just keeps getting better every year so uh, we had a great time out at Graceland had, a, had special VIP tours of the Graceland mansion at night cool. we had dinner dinner over in uh, Elvis's car museum and and the icons exhibit and you know that that whole complex just continues to expand and get better and it really is um, something that we in Memphis can be really proud of. And I can tell you, I'm always struck when I'm out there at how many P 
people are there from just around the world. I mean, mm -hmm. you hear a lot of different accents. So uh, we're really lucky to have that. So we wanted to highlight that for our friends in the banking industry. So we had, you know, Virginia Habern from Fiserv talking about uh, aligning your bank strategic focus in a payments industry that is all shook up. We had a lot of, we had a lot of uh, Elvis theme titles for our presentation. So we had fun with that. I, my, my uh, presentation to kick it off was it's now or never picking tech trends for 2020. And we had some of our friends, from around the nation, Arden Sustad from uh, Journey Technology Solutions talked about data analytics. Our our friend Dr. Ed Seafried came back to talk about you know the economy and how that how that's impacting our banks. You know, recession threat, real or imagined, was the title of his presentation. Uh, another uh, bank Barrett faculty member, Sean Harms, talked about uh, you know RegTech taming the compliance beast through technology. Uh, we had we talked about fintechs with Scott Mills from the William Mills Agency. Our old friend Mark Faircloth yeah. talked about um, creating, maintaining trust with customers, teammates, and ourselves. A suspicious mind, the name of his presentation. Trent Fleming was there talking about tech trends you should avoid. Yeah. Uh, we had a really good lineup. Lee Weatherington was back with uh, uh, strategic differentiation in the future of community banking. And, and we always try to give the bankers – something well-rounded because there are a lot of technology conferences where you can go and, you know, discuss the history of the Micker line or something boring like that. So <laughs> we try to keep it pretty, pretty lively and give them um, a good idea that, you know, we're, we're working for a for-profit institution here and we want to make sure that we're keeping the customer experience where it should be. And we're also keeping our employees happy and we're thinking strategically. So we even had uh, uh, Noah Scalen come talk about the art of innovation and workplace creativity. So we always try to make it a, a well-rounded event. We have a lot of fun. We eat a lot of food, uh, uh, drink a few adult beverages, and uh, but we learn a lot. So this has been something that's been our way to give back to the industry, and we, we certainly appreciate uh, the Barrett Graduate School of Banking being our CPE sponsor for many years, too. So, you know, uh, Chris Kelly was able to come out and tell the folks about what's going on at the banking school and of course many we had many banking school alums there too so uh, yeah all in all another great event and we're looking forward to starting planning right now for our 2020 event yeah i um i hope the 2020 event goes into as deep a dive into elvis or into music as y'all did because i wasn't able to make it this year and i was really upset just the way the schedule worked but it was it was impressive the dive y'all took into the Elvis music. Uh, I have to say that was from well, I know you're a musician. So yeah, you, you got to come out next time. Well, yeah, well. I, I really, I really hate, I, I had to miss that, but I, I was impressed at how you, how you, and it wasn't overkill. It was perfect. You, you the deep dive into Elvis music was, was quite, uh, was quite good. That, that was impressive. So well, I'm, hoping 2020, I'm hoping 2020, I'm hoping 2020 y'all do that again, put some barbecue and some good local beer out there and you'll, uh, you'll probably get a I few more people so. return visits. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure we can do that. You know, we, we definitely wanted to uh, uh, honor the legacy of Elvis Presley out there, but also showcase Memphis and, and all the great things we have going on in, in our area. And I, I believe we accomplished that. We had a lot of people, you know, from all over the place, Iowa, Virginia, that, that came in and uh, saw some things they hadn't seen before uh, with Memphis. So uh, yeah. I think we accomplished our goal there. 
and that's 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 all you can ask for. Now, we had you on last year, and um, uh, as well at this time of at this time of the year. And uh, I think one of the things I've really enjoyed, uh, kind of keeping in my back pocket for for you, Jimmy, is you for the last fifteen years have done your top ten predictions for the coming year. And rather than having you on at the beginning of the year, I like to have you on at the end of the year and say, all right, well, how'd you do? <laughs> so um, I wanted to take the rest of our time with you today, Jimmy, and go through the 2019 predictions and, uh, and ask you how you did on those. For, for those of you listening in the, on the show page and in the show notes, I'll have a link to, uh, to Jimmy's blog or his, his blog post with these, as well as the information uh, for his website to keep an eye on that for, for the 2020 summit. And as you can hear, it is a good time. Um, it is definitely something you want to follow uh, on social media and fo follow along uh, with, with that in, in advance of the event. Um, but also stay in touch with what Jimmy's putting out there. It's really, really good content. Everybody needs to be reading it. So we're going to go ahead and see how Jimmy did over the last 12 months. So Jimmy, number one, Apple begins a slow decline as their decade of dominance ends. That was what you said in uh, April, I mean, sorry, February of 2019. How, how we stand on that? Well, I, I believed at the first of 2019, the uh, same as I believe right now, I think Apple has lost its mojo mm -hmm. and in, in a few areas. But one of the things that I was telling some bankers yesterday in, in Kansas that you know, we, we all thought that the iPad was going to be more of a business tool than it actually is. And, and uh, I, I've got a saying that iPads are good for watching Netflix. And, but if you're, they're a good viewing device, in other words. So I'm fine with your board members. If they're looking at PDFs on there and spreading and pension and doing all of that, that's great. But if you're forcing your employees to use those iPads like laptops or to open accounts, I consider that a form of torture. So uh, I think you just need to get a, a Microsoft Surface Pro tablet. And why? Because very simply, it runs the Windows operating system and will be compatible with the rest of your bank system. So uh, iPad's a great device. Apple's a great company. But as I, I tell bankers too, you know, 10 years ago, uh, I had a BlackBerry curve as my smartphone. Never thought I'd need another smartphone. So it's hard to predict 10 years from now what will be the dominant smartphone platform. And in my opinion, it's not going to be Apple. So 10 years from now, uh, you can call me out on it if I'm wrong. And, and you're right about my predictions. I'm not always right. And so we put out all 15 years uh, on, my, on our website at SawyersJacobs.com. So you can go there and see how right or wrong we've been. And also you can... Uh, click and join our mailing list. We're going to have photos coming out from Bank Tech Summit, for example. Cool. And then, then in a couple of months, we'll have these annual predictions coming out again. So, so again, I think uh, just as BlackBerry had, had a pretty uh, quick decline, it, it's, it's a fragile existence for a company that's only a hardware company. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, you were just seeing that evolution. I have a Google Pixel phone now. I love it. Uh, okay. Doesn't mean the iPhone's a bad phone at all, but I, th I just think 10 years from now, we'll see another dominant uh, company in that space. How do you, how, given um, Apple's, you know, they, they still hold a significant share in, uh, you know, especially on, on like the podcast and then like even, even on the smartphone, it's slipping, but it is still significant. They also launched the Apple Card and uh, Apple Pay. We began to see more usage in that. Is, is that 
starting to – are they lagging on that? Is that going to be – is that going to save that – uh, save that industry and, and force more people to the iPhone. What, what's your prediction there? Well, just uh, again, to, to be uh, perfectly candid on that, you know, that's one of the things I was wrong on a few years ago, uh, Byron, I thought Apple pay would really take off. Yeah. And it did me too, actually. And it didn't, you know, Starbucks has way more transactions uh, mm-hmm. on their app than, than Apple pay. And, and some of that is because it's not, it's not the most widely used, you know, uh, smartphone in the world. So uh, we didn't see Apple Pay really take off. And, you know, in, in the future, uh, we are going to be paying more with our phone than with plastic cards. Uh, actually, we're going to be playing, paying more with our face than our phone or our card. Right. So facial recognition has come along so much. So I think uh, for that reason, again, I'll, I'll stick with my prediction. <laughs> but also the Apple card, you know, it, it, again, the the advertising can be misleading these days. And so they say, you know, it's the, it's the card without a bank. Well, that's not true. The bank right. behind Apple card is Goldman Sachs. Right. Well, Goldman Sachs also happens to be one of the biggest investors in fintechs over the past five years. So we're seeing a lot of those things come along where the advertising doesn't always match up with the reality of what's going on in the marketplace. So I think that uh, bankers on the payment side, we need to, focus on securing that franchise and certainly uh, working with within the confines of what we even have now with uh, debit card strategies to increase that interchange revenue, getting a more instant issue out there. Tap to pay is going to be a huge deal. Mm You know, 63% of the merchant terminals in the United States right now will accept tap to pay. So being able to pay wirelessly with your card. And if you're a quick service restaurant, me being able to get through the line instead of going through that whole convoluted, horrible EMV experience where I got to insert and remove the card, don't remove the card and all that. If I can just tap and pay, that turns a a five second transaction into a one second transaction. Uh, Merchants like that, consumers like that. So Mm -hmm. I think we're we're making a lot of strides there and and the smartphone is going to be a, a big, big part of that too, as we migrate away from plastic cards. You, uh, your second prediction there, you, you had mentioned fintechs uh, earlier, and number two was the disruptors get disrupted as fintechs learn the art of the pivot. And I thought this was a really great point, talking about the uh, community banks trying to be wooed by the, uh, by the fintechs like a second chance on a prom date. <laughs> I really like the way you phrased that. So how, what are we seeing? What do you mean by that? What have we been seeing in the last few months in this area? Well, I, I think as 2019 has progressed, we, we've seen that, you know, the, the fintechs took it on the chin in, in recent weeks, you know, when uh, the uh, OCC was was defeated, if you will, on, on the charters, right? So uh, we're not going to pass out bank charters like Tic Tacs, all right, uh, which I think is a good thing. So, so uh, fintechs should have to go through the same type of capital raise and regulatory approval that any of any bank that we know, any Novo bank, you know, went through. So that was a little setback for them. But my message to community bankers remains the same. There is not a darn thing that a FinTech is doing today that you cannot do yourself. And as community banks, we have always embraced technology and adapted. 
And so when I hear banks talk about, oh, you know, we got to open a digital bank, you know, my question back sometimes is, okay, well, at the turn of the century, did you open an internet bank? Well, no, we didn't do that. And I said, so, you know, how about we take that 100-year-old brand that you have and let's leverage that because you have something that the fintechs don't have. Um, and right now, that's customers' profitability and the trust of your community and, and your customers. And, and plus, you also have a brick-and-mortar presence that uh, shouldn't be discounted. And we're seeing a lot of community banks that are embracing that. Uh, they're doing well. I mean, they're opening accounts online. They have good person-to-person payment solutions, good mobile banking solutions. They, they have a great debit card strategy. So uh, I think the fintechs that maybe back in 2013, you know, they were thumping their chests and we're going to disrupt these traditional banks right out of business. Then in 2015, it's like, you know, hey, we're really going to disrupt you now. Just wait. And then 2017, it was more like, well, we need a little more money to disrupt you out of business. And now 2019, the fintechs um, are, are a bit more humble now. And they're saying, you know, we'd really like to partner with banks. We'd really like for bank tech providers to acquire us. And so it's a whole new tune. And I think that uh, bodes well for community banks, especially those community banks willing to take a look at their technology, their business processes, their people, and really beat the fintechs at their own game. It can be done. I see it done every day. We help banks do that. So I'm very positive on technology and I'm very positive on fintechs, but uh, as a way to help community banks not disrupt them out of business. Yeah, great, great point. I think in 2019, I sort of got the same sense a little bit more of the community banks I mean, I don't think the, the ones that are going to succeed, I don't think any of them would say like, I know I'm shunning all technology. Um, but there was a whole lot more conversation about partnering with rather than competing against. And both sides of that, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that there, there was some, you know, both sides of that discussion, but uh, it's interesting. It's interesting over the last 12 months, it's, it's become much more conciliatory than the, you know, oh, they're going to put us out of business. Well, no, I mean, a lot of other technology changes have happened over the last, what, 150 years. Right. Um, strange we're still here. Interesting. Um, exactly. And one of the things we found out, Byron, too, is that, is that um, channels are, are new channels, especially new digital channels. They're, they're more complementary than disruptive. So right. they're, they're about uh, 80% complementary and maybe 20% disruptive. So certainly mobile deposit will reduce traffic in, in the branches and certainly uh, more digital payments will reduce checks. Uh, but uh, it doesn't mean those other channels go away. It actually means the, the customers touch your bank more. And, and I think that's, that's a good thing. And again, uh, we have quite an infrastructure in, in community banking, uh, one that the fintechs don't have. So uh, as long as we, again, align our people, our technology and our processes, we're going to do just fine. And then, you know, even, even if we do see a, a drop in lobby traffic, you know, maybe let's rethink about retraining our employees or approaching, approaching things a different way. Like Rich, like we had an episode with Richwood Bank up in Ohio about the, the coffee shop, a very digital, you know, progressive minding, progressive minded bank in, in terms of this area. They, they put the coffee shop in place, shameless plug for a podcast episode I get, but, um, but they saw increase, despite all that, they saw an increase in lobby traffic, account openings, loan applications, and 
to put an anecdotal spin on it, they got teenagers hanging out at the at the bank on a Friday night before a football game drinking coffee. You talk about building yeah. up the next generation. I, just rethinking things a little bit differently, I think, goes a long way. Well, that's a, that's a good thing, you know. And we, and as technologists, sometimes we try to automate everything. Right. And guess, and guess what? It still takes good, smart, dedicated, motivated people, and it still takes also bringing our business processes out of the '90s and in, and into 2019, 2020. Right. And the banks that are doing that and are figuring out that you know the even for example, the online account opening process, it's not digital all the way through. We need to have some email and some text and some people talking on the phone and, and maybe even, um, you know, so, some a, a live person helping uh, that fulfillment process. And there's nothing wrong with that. So right. uh, we're, we're learning that. Um, and we're, and there are a lot of banks out there doing a really good job with that. And I think that's going to continue into 2020. Absolutely. Number four, you had, and I am going to skip around on some of these because sure. I'm conscious of our time and our listeners' time. So I'm going to hit, uh, we'll jump some, but number four, you said network infrastructures get redesigned for 2020. Your challenge question was, is your network performing at optimal levels or does it need a serious overhaul and redesign? So what do we see in banks doing in terms of their networking or network infrastructures? You know, we're, we're going into more and more banks that are having network performance problems, uh, slow networks, uh, incompatibility issues. And what we find a lot of times is that the bank was sold that a thin client environment was going to perform better. It was going to be more secure. The IT people could administer the network better. Mm-hmm. And in rare cases, that's true. But we've also found that that environment, that infrastructure, uh, that design tends to work better for the outsourced provider, the managed services provider than the bank. So what we've advocated to correct those performance issues is for banks to buy full PCs. PCs have come down in price, they're lasting longer, disk is cheaper, memory is cheaper, and bankers shouldn't be afraid to take that on uh, themselves. So outsourcing is really not an all or none proposition. We all outsource certain things and I tend to call it more on-premise or off-premise, but um, banks that want to have a high performing network that really is the lifeblood of the bank's technology infrastructure, we would recommend they take a really strong look at going with full PCs, getting rid of the thin client environment and putting together a network that performs well for the bank, not the outsourced network provider. And uh, that's, you know, we've time and time again, uh, been able to help banks, uh, you know, redesign that network infrastructure and and it reaps a lot of benefits because it increases employee productivity. It helps the customer experience. So customers aren't standing in line waiting for the system to to boot up or to to respond. And uh, it just makes for a, a happier network environment. (laughs) <laughs> a happier network environment. I like that. No, no, no screaming at the computer and cussing at the computer because it's moving exactly. slow. Um, number six, you brought up cybersecurity preparedness gets rebooted as lessons are learned and window dressing fails. How, how has cybersecurity preparedness been progressing in 2019? Well, I was speaking at a state banking association tech conference a while back and I started off the conference asking, are we bankers or doomsday preppers? 
And I think we've had. <laughs> is there a difference? We're correct. Uh, well, sometimes it's hard to tell, right? Yeah, I know. So, technology folks to say, you work for a for profit institution, so we can't lock it down so tightly that no one wants to work there and no one wants to do business with you. Right. Okay? You're not a nuclear facility. You're not a military installation. You're a, you're a service business. And all too often, a lot of the cybersecurity um, consultants and companies out there are selling their services based on fear. And that has a lot of banks really retreating and trying to figure out how they can lock the bank down. And I think there's a balance there. I'm all about controls. You know, I've, I've written a couple of books on IT auditing and enterprise risk management. And I, I'm all about controls and I've been, you know, doing this for many years, but you know, the most secure bank is the one that's closed. Right. So <laughs> right. we don't see that. So we want to see how do we, uh, offer all these digital services, open up the bank more to the outside world, but at the same time have the right types of cybersecurity preparedness. And I see banks, here's a good example. You know, you'll have a bank that uh, they're phishing testing the heck out of their employees. So every week they're sending out a phishing test, but yet the bank then doesn't have 24 seven monitoring of its intrusion prevention system via a qualified managed security services provider that's going to detect that hack at 3 a.m. That's going to detect that malicious traffic emanating from inside the network. Mm -hmm. And so I see a lot of misplaced priorities, a misallocation of resources. And we try to help banks step back, take a look at it holistically and say, let's make sure that our cybersecurity preparedness efforts are addressing the right areas. You know, let's, let's lock down the wire transfer system, ACH origination, but you know, I'm not, I'm not really worried about the bank's Roomba. Okay. Can it be hacked? Yes. Any system can be hacked, but uh, some of the, the conferences we see and, and some of the, the companies that are out there are, are selling banks all the wrong things. And so we end up uh, mitigating all the, all the wrong risks because we're considering the threats that really don't, uh, aren't likely to occur and really might not have as much impact. So um, we're, we're, we're trying to help banks again, strike that right balance to where the customer experience is still going to be good, but the bank can also be secure and, uh, and also prepared for all the threats that continue to evolve. You know, ransomware is trending these days. We have, we still have business email compromised. Mm -hmm. We still see corporate account takeovers we still see brute force hacks. So uh, it's a never ending battle, but bankers uh, certainly can mitigate their risk uh, to an acceptable level if, if they take a smart approach. Yeah, that's, that's what I was, um, I really liked your, your piece on that in, in terms of mitigating the right risk. I think it's easy to paint cybersecurity with a pretty broad brush, do one or two things and call yourself fixing it, but addressing which risk like a loan or like any other portfolio loan portfolio risk that would be inherent, making sure that we've got the right, uh, the right risk 
uh, adjusted for and and, and exactly. dealt with that that was that's that resonated in my in my ears um well this is gonna have to be the last one because I, like i said i am conscious of your time and our listeners time but your number 10 uh final prediction was bankers require proof of provider performance so i know that's a, a vendor management's a big topic right now what's what's some movement we've seen in that area in the past 12 months well i've got some strong feelings on this i mean one you know bankers tend to uh, complain about their core providers, but yet most of them have been with their core providers an average of 15 years or more. We have some clients that have been with their core providers since uh, the 80s. Uh, So that's okay. We have an oligopoly, and most of those core providers are doing a very good job Mm -hmm. and and will continue to adapt, I believe, and offer digital services that will help banks compete. Uh, You mentioned vendor management. Uh, Banks... In my opinion, banks that are buying these automated vendor management systems and then having to hire a full-time person to feed and care for those systems, that's the biggest time waster I see in community banking these days. Mm. There is no there is no law, regulation, guideline, or best practice that says a bank has to buy an automated vendor management system. Now, do you have to have a vendor management program? Yes, you do. But for most community banks, I can count their critical vendors on two hands, some of them one hand. And so I see a lot of back to that misallocation of of finite resources. I see a lot of resources being allocated to to scanning contracts and looking at at, uh, third-party review reports when vendor management is about the due diligence being done before you sign the contract, okay? So after Mm. you sign the contract, if you see that a vendor had a bad quarter or you see something negative in an audit report, well, guess what? You got a contract. You're not going anywhere. So uh, you still need to do a good vendor management risk assessment. And the, the one word answer I give any banker, they say, why do we have to do this risk assessment? The one word answer is always awareness. So Mm. we want to create that awareness where if we have a client or in this case, a vendor that is having some financial trouble. You know, I, I see some out there that are privately held pulling to a market a fear way out of that hole, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably don't. You know, if we went on Shark Tank with that business plan, they'd probably laugh us right off. So that's the other thing we've got to look at. In a shrinking market of banks, how are these vendors uh, doing? And, you know, another, on, on a side note here, you know, we're all looking for this core that's going to you know, run on our smartphone or run in the cloud or whatever the case is. Well, um, you know, one might have to ask again, back to the Shark Tank example, who in their right mind would write a brand new core system for this shrinking market of 4,700 banks, right? Um, Is there enough of a market there to where you could even make that uh, a viable business, uh, given the fact, like I said earlier, that most banks don't move, right? There's this inertia they're not changing cores for the most part. So I think we got a few things there where uh, with the right types of strategic planning, banks can, again, start allocating resources to the right things, improve the customer experience, secure the bank, make employees happier and more productive, and also manage their vendors effectively, understanding that that should not be an adversarial relationship either. That should be a mutually beneficial relationship. And, with all of that said, I think uh, the future's bright for community banks and technology certainly is a great tool. It's a means to an end. And we're going to see some fantastic things happen in 2020 as technology continues to 
help banks become more efficient, more profitable. And so I, I'm just very positive in my outlook that community banks are going to be able to embrace that technology and succeed. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be obsessed or worried about what the fintechs are doing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to commoditize my bank to be just like a fintech or just like a large bank. I think most of the, the banks you and I know um, that are part of the Barrett Graduate School of Banking, especially, uh, they have some fine 100-year-old brands, 100-plus-year-old uh, brands. And if they can take technology to make that brand just a, a little bit better, uh, then they're going to win in the long run, no doubt. Yeah, that's what I, I tell some of our banking, my banking students here at Christian Brothers and then some of the bankers that I work with that are worried about the fintechs and worried about the, the big banks. And, yeah, I mean, they've got deeper pockets and they're, they've got other things, but you've got something they don't have, and that may be a 20, 30, 40% market share in your market or 50, 60% market share. That, that's a high barrier to entry. Um, and so, you know, take that and leverage that using technology, using, you know, just good old fashioned relationship management that technology makes even better and, and more detailed and more data driven. It's the same old thing. It's the same song, just a little bit, a lot different verse. And, uh, you know, I think that's, I'm, I'm like you, the, the future is definitely bright. Um, I've got a very happy, positive, optimistic view of the industry. So Jimmy, thanks for your time, man. Um, we'll, uh, We'll have it in the show notes here about for Sawyers and Jacobs, uh, the website and the blog post. Uh, we'll look forward to getting the full 2020 list out in a few months and we'll put that out there. And then next year, uh, Lord willing, we'll have you on and find out where all the, all the ones you got right for 2020. So <laughs> I'll do my best. I'm not always right, but I do, I do my best. No doubt about it. Well, that's our episode for today. We hope you've enjoyed yourself and learned a little something. If you haven't already, please feel free to subscribe to our podcast and drop us a five-star rating. You can follow us at Barrett Banking on Twitter or Barrett School of Banking on Facebook and LinkedIn. And we even have a new Community Banking Road Trip playlist on Spotify highlighting your favorite songs about your home state. Check that out and feel free to submit your favorite song about your state to add to the playlist. We have an ever-growing slate of classes, seminars, and webinars that are available, and not to mention our industry-recognized Graduate School of Banking every May, and we look forward to seeing you at any or all of our events. For more information, check out our website at barrett.ws. And from Memphis, the heart of banking, blues, and barbecue, we'll see y'all next time on Main Street Banking.